This afternoon, we're going to be continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews. This is actually the message that I had planned to preach preach on January 22nd, uh, but I fell ill Saturday night. That continued through most of Sunday, so I was unable to preach. Um, So we'll be looking at that today. We're in part four of holding on to the greater than from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through chapter 11, verse 40. So let's listen to God's holy and inspired word and inerrant word as we hear from Hebrews ten nineteen through the end of the chapter. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while. The coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Our Father, having heard these words, your words to us, which is your revelation, we ask that you'd plant your word deep within us, that we might grow. And we ask, O Father, that you would speak to us from your word today. Make known to us yourself. Make known to us Christ Jesus. May your word, your truth be ever real to us. And may your word be ever real to the one who is preaching today. And may you chain him to that word that he might freely declare truth. And do so clearly 
and accurately and understandably. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in this particular section of the book of Hebrews, we've been uh, apl- we, we, the author of the book of Hebrews has been applying what we've learned throughout the book of Hebrews about Jesus the greater than, about he's greater than all the things that have come before, that he's the greatest prophet, that he's greater than angels, that he's greater than Moses, that he's greater than the priesthood, that he's the greatest sacrifice. And now we're seeing the important principle of holding on to this one who is the greater than. And when we get into uh, chapter 12, we'll begin looking at a further application of it in terms of growing in the likeness of the greater than. Uh, Still, we're looking at this principle of holding on to the one who is the greater than and the primacy of that. We saw in the first part of it in chapter in verses 19 through 25 of chapter uh, 10, uh, these several exhortations that based upon the fact that we have all these things in Christ Jesus to draw near, to hold fast and to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, all while not neglecting to meet together. The importance of one another in holding on to the one who's the greater than. And then in verses 26 through 31, we saw uh, the, the importance of holding on to the greater than. For to let go of the great, greater than is not to turn to something else, but it is to turn to nothing. It is to turn to that which is due to all men, judgment. For without the greater than, we are in sin. It's not saying that one who's a believer can lose their salvation. It's recognizing that the importance of holding on to the greater than. The one who doesn't hold on to the greater than and who never returns is showing the signs that he was not in him. And then in verses 32 through 35, uh, we saw uh, two basic exhortations. Uh, One was to remember And the second was to don't throw away, to remember uh, the former days of their of what they endured, of what they went through, even being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those who were treated, having compassion on those in prison and being joyfully accepted the the poverty of having their property plundered and all because they knew something. They knew they had a far greater possession than all these things that they could possibly lose. That far greater possession being an abiding one, one that does not go away. That greater possession being the city to which which we are truly looking forward to. The city that is to come in Christ Jesus. That we have eternal life in him. And that this life is but a passing vapor in light of what's coming. It's not that things in this life are not important, but we must put such things in perspective. And then he says, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward to not throw away, to not neglect, to not let go of that confidence, which is rooted in Christ Jesus, for he is our confidence for what we have is far greater than what we could ever lose. So let us not sabotage our faith by means of focusing on the present circumstances at the expense of the hope for which we long. And now we have two basic ideas that continue that thought in verses 26 through 31. 
that give supporting ideas, that gird up those ideas, that give the reason, the evidence, the basis for those. And the first is that we need endurance. And the second is because being in Christ, because those who are in Christ Jesus, they are, we are not among those who shrink back and are destroyed. One is in Christ Jesus. They are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but rather those who are of faith, who have faith, who look to Christ, who hold on to him, who rest in him and receive from him. So the first the first assertion that he lays out here in verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that you may receive what is promised, having done the will of God. Now, that sounds a little different from your translation. Um, it's saying the same basic thing, but I put it in a little bit different order because of the emphasis as I see it in the Greek text. Um, <clears throat> but here we see, do not throw, uh, you have need of endurance. When we think of endurance, what is it that might come to our mind? A Greek word there, hupomanes, uh, endurance. If, you've, if we've ever tried exercising. Or maybe dealing with pain and trying to walk through pain. There's something called endurance that is necessary. So if I'm, um, if it's been a while since I've taken a walk, and I like taking walks and hiking, and I go out for that hike after having not done it for a few months, either due to the weather or because of my own laziness or whatnot, I go out and take, take that hike, I get tireder quicker. You all have probably experienced that. And I have to work harder at continuing, at putting one foot in front of the other. I need to consciously endure. But as you practice and do more, that endurance comes a little more naturally. Those of you who have been through boot camp have learned all about endurance. Not just physical endurance, but mental endurance, emotional endurance, and otherwise. But at the root of that endurance is this idea that at some point, it's going to end. The pain's going to end. At some point, the weariness is going to come to an end. At some point. In the missionary boot camp I went through, we were on a run that we were told was a four-mile run. Um, but it turns out they used a little bit of wordsmithing. They didn't say four miles. They said, we're going to run this route. But they didn't specify how many times we were going to run the route. So we got to the end of the four, the, the four miles and... They kept going. I thought, and we're all tired because it was a faster run than normal. We're all tired, and I'm a team leader, and I thought, okay, we've got to motivate the team. So I thought, what am I going to say? I thought, what, okay, what's going to motivate me? Well, they can't keep us going forever. It's going to come to an end because they're going to get tired at some point. So I said, hey, guys, it's going to end sometime. And that helped us keep going. Another example of... Uh, uh, illustration of endurance uh, would be one who's in school and trying to study trying to learn or not necessarily in school just trying to learn something new or maybe trying to engage in a craft for instance i'm trying to hone my guitar skills i haven't really diligently practiced my guitar in several years and i'm picking it back up again and I'm having to relearn some things and rebuild hand strength and um, also had to rebuild uh, that thing that uh, deal going through the finger pain. 
that happens on a guitar and rebuild those calluses. And the idea is had to keep going and great benefit to that. And so the idea here is you have need of endurance, is that it's painful, it's hard, it's difficult. It's a recognition that this that they face and that they might potentially face and things that they might be afraid of happening that aren't happening, but they're happening to others. So they say, oh, this could happen to us. It's an acknowledgement that this is difficult. And he says, you need endurance. You need the ability to put one foot in front of the other to keep going forward, to keep holding on to Christ, even when everything all around them, including sometimes their own voice inside their head is saying, just let go, just let go, give up. It says you have need of endurance. For it's enduring, whatever that is, and we'll talk about that in a moment, that at the end of that, we receive what is promised, having done the will of God. What is the basis of endurance? What quality is the basis of endurance? It's the opposite of what you and I typically, including mine, say to you and I, because it's me as bad, you and I typically live by. And that's this. It's the lack of this quality would be the reason why when we're driving up 20 to get to Anacortes or down 525 to get to, to Clinton, and there's somebody who has the audacity of just driving the speed limit in front of us. And we're starting to grind our gears saying, I just want to go five miles an hour faster. It's the whole reason why somebody behind you, when you get to that five miles an hour faster, does the same thing to you. Lack of something called patience. Patience. The basis of endurance is patience. Some of you may be old enough to remember. Some of you may not be old enough to remember. But there was a pizza chain that had an advertisement in the 80s, and I think it was the 90s, that in their delivery, it would get there a half hour. If it didn't get there in, in less than a half hour, it was free. I think they eventually gave up on that because it was costing them money. But patience, patience is the ability to wait, the ability to recognize that there's something coming ahead for it is worth waiting for and enduring that which we are facing. It's the opposite of the desire for instantaneous gratification. But rather, it's waiting upon the Lord. Endurance, <clears throat> what we've learned here of how we're looking forward to the expectation for that which we wait. Endurance is the ability to wait so that we can endure and hold on to Christ to abide in him. Remembering the end is coming. The end is near. The end will come. It just may not be near the way we like it to be near. The end of a hard, day, a hard day's work is difficult to do, but to recognize that there's going to be an end in a completed project, if we recognize that, can help us 
put that one foot in front of the other, to recognize that which we are looking for and for that which we are hoping. It is the opposite of a song that was popular in my 20s. It says, I rush and I rush and I don't know why. song about everything being fast by a band in the 90s. Calvin says of this, Patience is necessary, not only because we have to endure to the end, but as Satan has innumerable arts by which he harasses us, and hence except we possess extraordinary patience, we shall a thousand times be broken down before we come to the half of our course. The inheritance of eternal life is indeed certain to us, but as life is like a race, we ought to go on toward the goal. If you think about it, to have endured so long and then to suddenly just quit, sort of like, sort of like a race that goes across the lake, a swimming race. And you get halfway, decide that you're done, and so you decide to swim back. <laughs> and the purpose of endurance, the end of endurance, we should say, is inheriting the promise, having done the will of God. It is those who believe in Christ, who hold on to him, who trust in him, who rest in him, who have the promise. The one in Christ, for the one in Christ, that is a surety, as we will see. Yet we must continue to hold on to Christ. For without Christ, there is no surety. Without Christ, there is no guarantee. Though we might falter, though we might fail, Though we might faint, though we might even leave for a time, his, those who are his, will believe upon Christ. They will hear his voice and they will come. For Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep hear my voice. The song that we sung with the opening, Come People of the Risen King, Come those who have stories of victory and those who are struggling in the fight. It is all for to hold on to Christ and to look in Him. Look to Him. And that is the will of God, is to hold on to Christ, is what is being spoken of here. To believe upon Him. In this, the will of God can mean all sorts of different things in different contexts. In this context, he's referring specifically to what he's been dealing with, which is holding on to the greater than. After having held on to the greater than, enduring in that, the end of that is what? Receiving the promise. And so hold on. In fact, that's supported. The idea is that of, of, that, of what that is is supported in the very next uh, quote there that's in verse 37. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is actually a quote from 
Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It's taken, now if you were to turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, uh, in whatever Bibles you have, you may say, that reads a little bit differently. It's in a different order. And he leaves changes some things here. Well, that's because the author of the book of Hebrews is doing what most of the New Testament authors do when they quote the Old Testament, is he's not quoting from the Hebrew text. He's quoting from a Greek translation of the Hebrew text known as the Septuagint or Septuagint for those of us who speak American and not English. An ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew text written or translated for the benefit of uh, Greek-speaking Jews during the time of the uh, Greek and Roman empires. There were many Jews who were faithful to Torah, but they didn't speak a lick of Hebrew because they were raised in Greek households around Greeks. And so this was given for the benefit of them. And the bulk of trans, a bulk of quotations from the, of, of the, from the Hebrew script, what we call the Hebrew scriptures from the Old Testament are actually from that in the New Testament. There's also, he borrows a little bit as well from Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20. Like you might not find yet a little while, but that's all. But that's taken from Isaiah 26, verse 20. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20, it's an exhortation to keep hiding in the Lord. When he pulls that up, one who would be familiar with the with the Old Testament scriptures most likely would hear that. And say, yeah, Isaiah 26, 20. What does Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20 say uh, to us? He says, come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves yet for a little while until the fury has passed. What is he saying? What is he Uh, telling them to hide themselves, to hide themselves in what? To hide themselves in God's grace, to hide themselves in his covenant mercy and his protection, to shield them from the judgment, for yet in a little while it will come. The time won't be long, though it seems long, it really isn't. From God's perspective, it's already done. In light of the grand story of history, the grand drama of history, it's not a long time. Just from our perspective, see, things seem a long time away. John chapter 14, verse 19, uses the same language of yet a little while. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will also Live. Jesus uses this language of a little while. Again, the idea of <clears throat> it may seem a long time, but it's not long. You won't, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. You'll know me in Christ Jesus. I mean, you'll know him in Christ. You'll know him in Christ by the Spirit. And you will live in him and see him at his coming. Now, uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, verses 3 and 4. We'll turn there and read from the Hebrew text, and then we'll look uh, 
some of the differences from the uh, Greek text, but we'll see they actually work together. And they're essentially saying the same thing. You could say that the uh, Septuagint is a, the quotes from the Septuagint are a way that the um, authors are, that the authors of the text are quoting are quoting from our uh, interpret giving an interpretation of the Old Testament text. But Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Starting at 2 for the sake of context. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. And we read here in the book of Hebrews again. For the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And so they're very similar with the exception of this language of being puffed up is not present. <clears throat> So in Hebrew, so in Habakkuk chapter two, verse four, in the Hebrew text, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright in him. Somewhat different. When we if we were to open up the Septuagint and look at it and if we read Greek and read it, read it or there's English translations out there you can read. Um, it reads it reads pretty much the exact same as Hebrews chapter 11, but in reverse order. Or Hebrews 10, but in reverse order. But let's look at this prophet and see how this actually supports what Paul, what the author of Hebrews is saying here. We see, first of all, at the end of chapter 3, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that there is some sort of appointed time that is coming. Even though it may seem a long time away, it is surely coming. And we mentioned... Earlier, we tend to be hasty. That song I mentioned earlier, a line says, Don't know why I have to drive so fast. My car has nothing to prove. It's not new, but it'll do 0 to 60 in 5.2. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun. I also think of when we think of the hastiness with which we live and expect things story from uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and Lord of the Rings when the hobbits are appealing to these giant living trees. Again, this is all fantasy. None of this actually happens or exists, but it's telling a story to come to their aid. And they have this meeting and they're very slow about it. And the hobbits are, would you hurry up and do this? And Treebeard says, you're a hasty one, aren't you? Wanting it now. But he assures them here in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. He's saying it's going to end. Look for it. Wait for it. Trust me. It will end. Your joy shall come. Your expectation shall be here. Just wait for it. Look to me. Hold on to me. Even if it tarries. Calvin adds to this, since men are by nature 
importunate and are so hasty within their wishes that they always think that God is delaying. We think oftentimes we know better than God that it should happen now. We get so impatient that we decide we're going to set dates sometimes. But he tells us, wait, the blessedness of waiting upon the Lord. Of course, some of us might hear that, including myself, say the blessedness of waiting. And we might go, what? What? The blessedness of waiting. And here we see in verse four, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right in him, but my righteous one will live by faith. In the Septuagint, it reads, if for, if for instance, he might draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in him, but my righteous one will live by faith. It leaves out that, behold, his soul is puffed up. What is it to be puffed up? What is this language of being puffed up? It's language of pride, it's language of arrogance, language of thinking more highly of oneself than one ought. I think of the story, uh, historical account of King Saul. King Saul started off as his king. It said of him, he was small in his own eyes. However, sometime later, it says he built a statue to his own honor and exalted himself. And the Lord removed him from his throne and appointed David in his place. He became puffed up. We see the fact that he also refused, King Saul refused to wait on the Lord. One instance, they were waiting for Samuel to come and provide the sacrifice before going into battle. And Samuel wasn't there on the timetable that Saul wanted, so he went ahead and led the sacrifice himself. And that was a grave sin. He was not trusting the Lord to do according to his promise. What is it to be puffed up? It is to live in pride. It is to draw back and and to turn to other things. That is what it is to be puffed up. To turn to things that we think are better. To turn to things that we think that are better or think that we can do it better or that we know better. For if we draw back and turn from Christ, what is it we are telling God? I know better than you. That's exactly what we're saying. I know better than you. That is puffed up. He is saying that whatever the defenses we might have, that whatever be the defenses by which the ungodly are fortified or in which they trust, they will not stand because firm life consists only in faith. John Gill said that all the devices we can come up with, they will only lead to frustration and fear for they are rooted in being puffed up with pride to live by something other than faith in Christ is to live in pride. How often do we turn from him and turn to our own pride? We do it all the time. All the more every reason to turn to Christ, looking to him. And trusting him. In our lives. For the help to endure. 
as we're going to see what we need when we speak about endurance is what we need is trust in Christ. For that is the whole basis of endurance. I gave away my gave away my climax there. But on the opposite end of that, believers will never be frustrated in their faith. John Gill says, because it rests in God. It's not that the believer will never experience frustration. That will never, it's not that the believer will always be happy, smiles, happy, clappy, everything's good, everything's happy. But rather, is we won't be frustrated in that <clears throat> faith in Christ will not frustrate in the end because it rests in Christ and the ends for which we look to Christ will be fulfilled. Those cannot be frustrated. Though we might experience difficulty and pain, though our goals that we think we are best for us may not meet, and we might be frustrated in that faith in Christ for the ends to which it exists does not frustrate. So what is this use? What is this quotation, this use of Habakkuk tell us about endurance, about patience? As I just said a moment ago, it comes from living by faith. By faith in whom? By faith in Christ. It's not just simply saying, okay, I have faith. Faith. Got to believe. It's believe in whom? Believe in what? There's a, some sort of a big game being played today somewhere. And I imagine all the fans of those, of those two teams are all telling one another in social media emails or in one another, believe. I think, Believe in what? It is faith in Christ. It is not faith in faith. It is not faith by itself, but is the object of the faith by which we have endurance, by which we have that patience that brings about endurance. Patience and endurance is born of faith, born of the union with Christ that faith gives us. So in needing patience and endurance... The author is saying we need to trust Christ, to turn from ourselves, to turn from our sins, to turn to Christ, to rest upon him and to receive from him. That is the principal act of what faith is. It's receive, resting upon Christ and receiving from him. To do otherwise is to think very highly of ourselves and to puff ourselves to make much of ourselves. What is it that is the opposite of believing upon Christ? It is but, he says, shrinking back. Shrinking back. That is, remember in the exhortation, to remember the things that you endured. To shrink back would be to say, you know, maybe there's better ways. Maybe that's not so important that I believe Christ. Maybe it's not so important that I associate myself with other Christians. Because that might bring suffering. I just, need to fo- I just need to remember what I have now and rejoice in that and focus on my present circumstances. But that's just being puffed up. Because it is rising up against God, being filled 
with self-confidence or confidence in other things that God is not that God has said, don't place confidence in those. We looked at Psalm 33 last week and we said there's all sorts of things that we can place our confidence in and they invariably fail each time. What is it about faith that brings this about? Again, it's not because faith is of a certain strength or faith is of a certain quality. Faith does not bring about justification and redemption and salvation because God looks at that faith and says, there's the quality that I'm looking for. That's quality enough faith and I'm going to accept that. No, that's not what goes on with this. It's because faith looks to Christ and says, him, he's the one I need. That's why faith is effective. Not because it's of a certain quality, but because it looks to Christ. I don't know how common this is um, anymore. There was a method of evangelism called evangelism explosion. And it would open up with a question, uh, you know, and the, there was always ways of sharing Christ. These were boxes and sometimes they became overly um, cookie cutter and they weren't ad- and people didn't make them adaptable to different circumstances. But it always opened up with a question after, you know, introducing, say, so if you were to die today and you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? That was the opening question to it. And I engaged in that and I would hear different questions. I would uh, answers would say, well, I've generally been a good person or I'm uh, sought to be faithful. or I've been sincere with what I believe, all those various different answers. But then I would come across the evangelicals sometimes and they would say, well, because I, 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 I accepted or I did this. And that never sat right with me, but I was a really young Christian and I wouldn't know how to, I didn't know how to express my discomfort with it to say, I don't know, that doesn't sound right. But this is what faith is. It's not something I did, but this is what faith is. This is an example of what faith is in terms of the answer to that question. If I were to die today and stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you in? My answer is, I would look for Jesus and point to him and say, because of him. That's what faith is. It's saying because of him. In him and through him and by him. And that's why we must live by faith. And that faith gives us endurance because it rests upon Christ's Christ singular and receives from him. And so thus, in light of that, he can say this with confidence in verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Those who are of faith and preserve their souls. So thus, he asserts that this, that those who are in Christ have these two certainties upon which they that can be understood. They're not going to shrink back and be destroyed and that their souls shall be preserved. And all that is because they have faith. Notice that the one who shrinks back, 
who does not believe upon Christ is one who is under destruction, one who is under eternal condemnation. But the one who has faith has title to eternal life, title to it, to say this, it belongs to me and is coming to me. And if we are in Christ, in Christ Jesus, we are certain to not only have title to it, but to possess it because he draws us to himself. That is, we are not only heirs and have title to receive what is promised, but we will for certain receive what is promised. There have been many an occasion in life when someone is an heir to something and it's promised to them and the time comes for it to be divvied out and they don't receive it because either the person who uh, had the will decided to go ahead and just spend spend everything or something like that and there was nothing left or the person who had the will decided to change the will and no one was told. There's many fun stories that are written around those storylines. But that's not true with the believer. Not only does the believer have title to eternal life, but has certain to possess it in fullness because he is the one who guarantees it. And faith is what rests upon that. And faith, faith testifies of that. This is why the preached word would impact believers and unbelievers differently. Whenever the word is preached or whenever it is read or is it or it is preached, the believer hears it and is impacted in a certain way. It's not the same in every believer. We don't want to create a Oh, you didn't have the same effect. So thus, I don't know about you. No, it's it's impacts them, impacts each believer according to the way God is working in each person. But there's an impact. Whereas an unbeliever might hear it. And in the words of story from Alistair Begin, his book, um, Name Above All Names, he told a story of <clears throat> it was uh, William Wilberforce and his best friend, the who eventually became prime minister, when heard the sermon. And William Wilberforce was just going on and on about the message. And his friend who was the uh, his his friend who went there, he said, what was he driveling on about? What was the difference? The difference was faith in Christ Jesus, because Christ is present to the faith of believers. We see Christ in his word through faith. We receive Christ by faith in his ordinances. We receive Christ by faith in fellowship with one another. And we see Christ by faith in our prayers. It is because of Christ that by faith we don't shrink back. It is because of Christ that by faith our souls are preserved. And so thus when he says you have need of endurance so that when so that you may receive what is promised. Having done the will of God. What is it that he is saying? He is saying you have need to keep looking to Christ. 
And when you look to Christ, you will have endurance. And when you have when you endure, your faith will be strengthened. And when your faith is strengthened, you will endure more. And when you endure more, your faith will be strengthened again. It becomes an echo chamber that gets louder and louder and they affect one another. So when we say we have need of endurance, the need to put one foot in front of the other, the need, need to keep believe, the need to keep enduring in Christ Jesus, it is the need to remember what Christ has done for us and what he is doing in us and what he will do for us and to place our all of all of our eggs in that basket. All of our eggs in that basket. That is what it must be. And thus we can be certain of this. To quote Paul from Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. That the one who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Now we sometimes misread that. We might read it this way. He who began a good work in us will make sure that we complete it. That's oftentimes how we read it. That's not what it reads. He who began the good work, he will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. That is something that I myself pray. I pray that for my wife and I pray for each each person here in the church and other believers I know with regards. I always I always pray. Lord, you promised to begin a, you, you began a good work and you promised to bring it to completion. So do it. Please do so. Help them to trust you. And so we must remember this confidence expressed in those words because God finishes what he starts. He finishes what he starts. How many of us have loads of uncompleted projects sitting in our attics or in our garages. Things that we began with great gusto. And then if we saw a squirrel, namely another project, and said, I'm going to do that. And then we saw another one. I'm going to do that. And now we have all these unfinished projects taking up space. That's at least my problem. God is not the one like that. He finishes what he begins. And so thus we can say with confidence, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. As First Peter 1 says, who are, that we are kept by faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. Kept by faith. So we must remember this confidence expressed in those words because God finishes what he starts. So, brothers and sisters, in closing, we have need to endure. We have need to keep putting one foot in front of the other, to keep remembering, to to keep walking in Christ, to keep trusting him. Knowing that it is going to come to an end, there's an end at some point. When it shall be received and it shall be completed. It's going to come. What is it that we need to endure? To have that patience. That ability to say, okay, just because I don't have it right now doesn't mean it's not going to come. We need faith. We need to believe Christ. 
We need to hold on to him and receive from him. To give due attention to who he is and what he has done. To hear the preaching of the gospel and to preach the gospel to ourselves. Sometimes what we need to learn best, what we need to learn most, is what we need to share with others. And so we should share Christ, for it will only strengthen our faith. And to live in Him. He has done all that we need for life and for godliness. He keeps us, He holds on to us. So, brother and sister in Christ, from that, let's live in Him. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that we have this sure and certain hope that is there for us. We pray you would help us to hold on to you through Christ Jesus and thus endure. We pray that you would help us as we're going to come on uh, see in coming weeks or months. The same example of Christ who, on account of the joy that was set before him, endured the agony and thus we look to him. We pray you'd help us so to do. We pray these things, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.